God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever been at a, a buffet or a family function and there's one piece of something left? Now, I know from experience here at Coffee Hour that when we get down to the last cookie or muffin, piece of cake, whatever, what happens? Nobody's going to touch it. Everybody's going to be very polite and wait because we're Episcopalians, right? No one wants to be the one who ate the very last whatever it is. But when you were a kid, did you ever get a piece of pie? Did you ever cut a piece of pie? Didn't have your siblings argue with you over what to do with all the stuff that comes dripping out of the middle of the pie? Hey, that's mine. That came from my piece, not your. Anybody? Is my family the only one that does that? Okay, that's good to hear that we're not. Hold on to that for just a minute. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up by the whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha went on their way from Gilgal. When Elijah comes on the scene, he comes out of nowhere. He confronts, confronts the king and the queen. He says, there's not going to be any rain in the land. And then he disappears into the desert. And the Bible says he sits by a brook and he's fed by ravens until it's time for the rain to happen again. And how he knows it's time for the rain to happen again is the brook dries up. After months and months and months of no rain, there's no more water. From there, he moves around following the Lord's leading, and we see miracles. Elijah confronts the false gods and prophets. Rain comes again, he hides. He hears God speak to him in a still, small voice. And he calls Elisha to be his successor. He does it simply by throwing his mantle on him as he passes by. And now Elijah knows that his time left on earth is short. And he says to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha responded, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Elijah keeps telling Elisha to stay with here. He's going to continue on his journey. And it seems like he might be testing his disciples. Right? We see this again and again. Elisha, just stay here. i got to keep going on. Elisha, no matter what happens, Elijah, I'm going to go with you. And the people around him, everyone keeps going to Elisha and saying, you know, Elisha's about to leave, right? You know that. He's like, I know, just be quiet. We know this is going to happen. They keep going and going until they come to the River Jordan. And it says, Elisha took up the mantle, rolled it, struck the water. The water was parted to one side and the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. Who does this? How do we normally get across rivers? A boat, a bridge, right? If you're out, if you're out, if you're out hiking, maybe you just kind of tromp across it in a, in a place that looks like it's relatively safe. Who strikes it? Who, who gestures and sees the waters part? a short list, right? We've got Moses, we've got Joshua, we've got Elijah. Elijah brought a man back from the dead, a man back from the dead. God used him to do many things that were important and unique. And he uses his mantle the way that Moses used his staff. And when they had crossed, he said to Elisha, tell me what I do for you that when I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, let me inherit a double share of your spirit. Now, inheriting a double share kind of makes sense, right? Instead of things being split, 
50-50 with you and your brother. Well, I want twice as much as he gets. I want two-thirds and he gets one-third. How about that? But the words here in Hebrew, it was explained to me that it's like you want two pieces of pie. And you want all the stuff that goes in them. You don't want to split that with anybody. It's got this connotation of, of not just a clean thing, but you're looking because you're wanting a little bit more in someone else. Now Elisha has seen firsthand what Elijah has done and what he's had to go through. And he says, I want what you've got. I want what God has given you and I want more. And I'm not sure, honestly, whether he was a man of great faith or he was a little bit crazy. But as they're still talking and walking, it says a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two, and Elijah ascended and the world went to heaven. Elijah keeps watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could see, no long, see him no longer, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two. When we think about chariots of fire these days, we don't think about anything literal, do we? Usually we, we think about a movie and a song lyric, right? Slow motion runners on the beach. But think about it. Chariots are war machines in those days. The Egyptians have a lot of them. The Babylonians and the Assyrians have a lot of them. Israel and Judah never have a lot of them. Maybe the king and one or two others might have them, but nobody does. That's what comes and gets them. It's not running Brits. It's fiery chariots and horses in a whirlwind. And Elisha can only tear his clothes in grief. But it's okay. Elijah leaves one thing behind. It's his mantle. The one he just used to split the River Jordan. The one he threw on Elisha a few years ago. The question that they asked then, and people still ask today, is where'd Elijah go? The psalmist writes, The Lord, the God of gods, has spoken. He's called forth from the earth the rising of the sun to its setting. The God who took Elijah with a chariot and horses of fire is the same one who created the heavens and the earth. He calls out the rising sun, and now he's calling his people to him. He goes on to write, Let the heavens and earth declare the righteousness of his cause, for God himself is judge. Now God is calling those who follow him, those who are part of his family, to gather close around. He's going to call on them in this psalm to renew their covenant with him. Because there are times we need to be reminded of what God has done for us. Time when we need to have our hearts and our minds renewed. Time when we need to make change. Our gospel begins, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up to a high mountain apart by themselves. Now in Mark's gospel, in the weeks leading up to this, Jesus feeds 5,000 on the Jewish side of the, the, uh, the Sea of Galilee, and he feeds 4,000 on the Gentile side. And just six days before this, those six days he mentions, he asks his disciples as they're walking along going north, who do people say that I am? They give him a lot of answers, right? We, we know this story. Some say you're John the Baptist, and some think you're Elijah, and some think you're one of the other prophets, Jesus. But when he asks them, who do you say that I am? Peter gives that powerful declaration. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And once Jesus affirms it, Jesus starts telling them about what's coming up. 
that he has to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die and be raised up again. The disciples don't understand it, but they're too afraid to ask him questions according to Mark. And Mark says that while they're having these discussions, Jesus keeps moving north. And he stops and he takes Peter, James, and John and they go up on the mountain. And Mark writes, He was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to, before them Moses and Elijah, who were talking with Jesus. Jesus has changed before them. The way that his clothes are described here, the same way that Moses is described, and all Moses can see is God's backside, back in Exodus. Lights coming from him, the very light of God, the God who created it all back in Genesis. He's now radiating it from himself, so white, he can't make it that white. And Elijah's back, and Moses is there, and they're talking with Jesus. And I've mentioned it before, but forever and ever, commentators have said that now we have the law, the law written by Moses and the prophets, represented by Elijah there, and talking with Jesus. And one of the people that some people think Jesus is, Elijah, is even there and he's present. And Mark has been saying that Jesus is downplaying who he is. Telling people all the time, don't share, you got healed, but just don't, don't go tell people, it's okay. And here he is, standing on the mountain, and is there anything more public or more noticeable than a man who's glowing, standing on a mountain, talking to Moses and Elijah? Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, Rabbi, listen, it's good for us to be here, but we need to build tabernacles. We need to build dwelling places for all of you. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now Mark says, Peter didn't know what to do. They were all terrified. But Peter is always Peter. And when he doesn't know what to say or do, he just starts talking. And I'm sure that seeing a glowing Jesus standing between Moses and Elijah man who went up to heaven in a whirlwind in a chariot of fire. And Moses, who was glowing before the presence of God so strongly that he used to have to wear a veil. I'm sure it was confusing, frightening, awe-inspiring sight. But it continues, right? A cloud comes and overshadows them, and from the cloud a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. Jesus is glowing. Moses and Elijah are there. And a cloud comes. You hear the voice of God say something. God, something like what God has said before, but not quite. At his baptism, he says what? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Here he says, this is my son. Listen to him. When the covenant was given to Moses and God's people and explained in Deuteronomy, we heard a couple weeks ago, that God's presence came on the mountain like it was on fire. And God's voice spoke with a thunder. That was the sound of his voice. And it scared God's people to the point where they asked Moses to stand between them and God. And here God is telling them, listen to Jesus. Paul writes, if even our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. There are times when those who don't believe hear these stories like the ones we told this evening, and they ask questions. Why does God take Elijah to heaven like that? Why not 
any number of people. Why not when it's Bob's time, you take Bob up in a chariot of fire, right? Why horses and chariots? I don't honestly know. How could Jesus be glowing? Why is Jesus glowing? How could Moses glow? People don't glow. And if he was glowing, how could he suddenly be changed back? I don't know. There are parts of these stories. There are these miracles that don't make sense to our minds. But Paul reminds us, we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as slaves for his sake. At the end, we're not here to give ourselves pat on the back for the most rational defense of the Bible. Jesus didn't leave us here just to avoid sin. We're here to proclaim Jesus. How do we do that? Partially we do that by living like him. By loving God and loving our neighbors like we love ourselves. And the other part is to tell people why we love them. When they ask, we share that the love we're giving them is the love that God gave us. Paul goes on to say, For it is God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus had told the disciples what? A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You put a lamp on a table so you can see. You don't hide it under a bushel. We're called to share our faith and be an example to the world. And we're called to do it humbly and with love. Now I'll be honest. That's why I wrestle with using the government to try to enforce Christian ethics. Why? They don't do it with humility. They don't do it with love. They're not loving their neighbors. They're simply enforcing the rules. And we know that the rules, even when they are right, right? Paul says what? The law can kill. But love, the love of God, John says perfect love casts out all fear. Now in our gospel, we're as far north as Jesus goes in his earthly ministry. And from here, he begins to head south. He's headed to Jerusalem. And along the way, he keeps telling the disciples, I have to go and be arrested and die. But then I'm going to be resurrected. And they listen, and they don't understand. And Mark is quick to say, and they were scared to ask him. But what Jesus is saying is not what they want. The transfiguration, that time with Elijah and Moses, the public affirmation from the saint father signals that the time is short. And they head to Jerusalem with Jesus stopping and teaching and healing and freeing people. People that the father puts in his path along the way. In the church here, we're in a sense heading towards Jerusalem too. Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. Lent will begin. We'll not say hallelujahs again in church until until Easter weekend. But along the way, as we head towards Jerusalem, I know that God will put people in our paths that we are to love. And I know that God has not called all of us or most of us to be Elijah or Elisha. He's not given us a prophetic portion or a double portion. He's not called everyone to be a priest. But God has called each and every one of us to have our light shine. How do we love them? Part of that is Loving them like we love ourselves. But the better part of love is introducing them to Jesus Christ. Amen.